When you look at what's happening, you need to accrue carbon as a liability on your books because you're going to be taxed on it. It's not if, it's when. And in some places, it's already happening. Welcome to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast featuring conversations with leaders of the energy transition, hosted by Smart Energy Decisions founder, John Fiella. In each episode of Smart Energy Voices, John digs deep with industry movers and shakers to reveal insights you can learn from in their stories, personalities, and visions for the future. All right, let's dive in. Hi, everyone. I'm John Fiella, and welcome to Smart Energy Voices. My guest today is Adam Kramer, who recently made the move from Vice President of Strategy at Switch to CEO of sustainability and energy startup Ledger 8760. There's so much I want to talk to Adam about that we'll jump right into things. Adam, welcome to Smart Energy Voices, and thanks for joining me today. Why don't we start with the obvious question, Adam? You left one of the best gigs in the industry in your role at Switch, where you were having massive impact on the company, on the community, on the state, and renewable energy overall. And now you've moved over to a startup. What's behind your move? Why have you jumped over to Ledger 8760? Well, first off, thank you for having me on the podcast. I've always been a huge fan of everything Smart Energy Decisions does and have really enjoyed the podcast series. The reason for the move is that I was so fortunate, as you mentioned, at Switch to be involved with really incredible sustainability projects and bringing on hundreds of megawatts of new solar, of energy storage, of creating green energy tariffs and really getting to be at the tip of the spear on a lot of this transition in the CNI space to more sustainability focused. But what I really loved doing was helping to kind of build that momentum. And I got to do that at Switch and the opportunity to now go into a startup space where I can help so many companies and help so many organizations that just didn't have that breadth and experience that we were very fortunate to be able to tap into it, switch and grow this, to be able to do the same thing is kind of a continuation of the mission. So it comes down to just that. It's the mission and the ability to build a business that helps more and more people achieve the end goal. Yeah, well, that makes a world of sense. I mean, your your opportunity to have impact on dozens, if not hundreds of organizations in your new role is apparent. So good luck to you there. Before we get more into what's happening at Ledger 8760, we really got to talk a little more about what you accomplished at Switch, because I can't let you get away with that, that very passing comment. Tell us a little about your journey at Switch over the last few years from, I think your 100% renewable commitment was in 2016 and it led to Gigawatt One. It led to the largest behind the meter solar plus storage project anywhere. Tell us about the journey in a little more detail, Adam. Yeah, it starts with the vision of Switch founder and CEO Rob Roy, which was in about 2011, the wanting to become 100% renewably powered. And this is before there were green energy tariffs. This was before that was was really a, a tool that people could utilize. And so 
It began with conversations with the utility in Nevada and V Energy at the time who didn't have that in, in their tool belt, but nobody did. So that's not indicative of them per se. And so we continue to seek opportunities and options to be able to hit our goal of 100% renewable energy. And I think really importantly, that the energy kind of following principles that Gary Cook and the Greenpeace team laid out a decade ago, that the renewables were local and they were additional to that grid that we were drawing energy from. And so we began the process at Switch at the time to pursue direct access, to unbundle from the utility and to be able to procure energy directly from the wholesale market. Obviously, we we got into a little bit of a back and forth with the utility at the time, but what it led to were, were two important things. One was Switch's ability to procure renewable energy directly, which led to the first renewable energy project we signed, Switch Station 1 and Switch Station 2 which was 180 megawatts of solar energy in Southern Nevada. But the second thing that it led to was actually Envy Energy to their credit was responsive to the pressures that drove us to leave as a fully bundled customer and created a green energy tariff, which numerous customers are using now in the state. So really from the tension, I think came a win-win for everybody involved. And then through that, we were able to continue to move our mission forward, in particular here in in Nevada, which is where I still call home. And as you mentioned, we launched Gigawatt One, which was not just about bringing solar and now storage to the table for Switch, but also for the surrounding community. And there's the largest co-op in the state is taking energy from this. But really, our focus with adding storage was to increase the penetration of renewables in in our offtake. Through this journey, as Switch continued to expand, we created the first green energy tariff in the state of Michigan with with one of your earlier interviews this year with Rob at General Motors and Consumers Energy, who just one of the most phenomenal utilities I've ever worked with. And then moving down to Georgia as Southern Company and Georgia Power were doing the same. And that was... Walmart and Google really helped lead the lead the charge there. And it was an important part of what we did at Switch was helping to perpetuate. And they're coming out with their, their second version of that green energy tariff today. So really playing in both the regulated and unregulated space, but to achieve the same goal. Yeah. I like the way you've not only done things for yourself and for Switch, but you've really been an advocate for opening things up to provide opportunity for others. That Nevada market is fascinating. When I think back to 2017 and MGM paying that $87 million check to sever ties with NV Energy, I, I think between that action and your pushing, it's the fact that it led to NV Energy doing a green tariff and provided an example that others could follow is really pretty pretty interesting. You know, the Nevada market is fascinating because it's really it's the only market I could think of where there's actually been an attempt to try to open it up entirely providing consumer choice through the legislative process and it unfortunately didn't work out, but you were right in the middle of that whole thing, man, and I really like you to just share with our listeners kind of what was what was that experience like? What were the lessons learned? What would you have done differently? How do you feel about the the overall outcome? Yeah, it's definitely something I won't soon forget. It was a four-year process because it was a it was a push for a constitutional amendment to create energy choice in the state of Nevada. 
and it was to drive the opportunity because currently in the state, only customers who consume an average of more than one megawatt have the choice for direct access. And so we wanted to provide that for all Nevadans. And so we went to the ballot box to try and change that. And in the state of Nevada, constitutionally to create change, you have to go to the ballot box twice. The first time we went to the ballot box, it had 72% approval from the voters. Very resounding. The second time, the utility spent over $100 million to defeat it. And it worked. They did defeat it. But through that, you know, definitely not the most acrimonious of, of relationships between ourselves and the utility. But I think that on the backside of that, we were able to create some acrimony and be able to start working together. And I think that what it did do and where the, I would say the success was, is that there was an understanding that the utility had to do better. And I, I believe they have. I believe they have stepped up to the plate, whether that's creating more choice, not just for large consumers, but for smaller consumers. And choice being something that you can get within the utility playbook, rather than saying you're going to get power, that's your choice. You can have power or no power. It's <laughs> what kind of power do you want? Do you want more? Do you want less carbon intense power? Do you want to be tied directly to a project? Do you want to be able to do more behind the meter rooftop solar? So I think that it, at the end of the day, it achieved its objective, right? Whether or not it won at the ballot box wasn't the point. The point was, was to create more choice and more opportunity for consumers who had a desire for more renewable energy, who had a desire for the cost benefit of renewable energy, right? I mean, that's that's the biggest transition. And, and, and John, you, you're like me, you've been around this long enough to remember when solar was 120, 130, $140 a megawatt hour, right? Which feels like a lifetime ago, but really, I mean, 15 years ago, 12 years ago, and then in 15, 16, 17, you saw this precipitous drop off on price. And so it was about enabling other consumers, not just large companies to have this choice, if you will. And so now the choice exists, but it's not about who your retail provider is. It's about what options you want from the retail provider. So I'd consider that a win. And I will say this, kudos to NV Energy and to, I think, a number of utilities around the country who saw this shifting tide and work to be more responsive. You talked about this with Raj on, on an earlier podcast at Constellation, right? And this seismic shift you see in the regulated utility space to be responsive to consumers and, it, and it's happening. Yeah, I think in large part because of your efforts on many different fronts in Nevada, I think the utilities have gotten a word. This isn't a fad. This is something that is mission critical and they kind of need to get on board. So some get on board more slowly than others, but I think there's been tremendous progress and the progress seems to be accelerating, which is something I'm happy with. So in looking at renewable energy at a broader level, let's talk in terms of the entire marketplace. Where do you see things headed overall with renewable energy procurement by corporates and institutions, Adam? Yeah, I think that what we've seen in the last few years is a transition of renewable energy procurement as a strategy to renewable energy procurement as a tactic in the larger strategy of carbon and emissions reduction. And that this is a, a critical piece to that. And with renewables in particular, I think that as we kind of are building off of this conversation that you have more choice, whether you're in the retail side or in the wholesale side, and as the cost of renewables and in particular storage continues to come down, 
that more and more CNI customers in particular are finding opportunities to transition to using more renewable energy because both the economics and the, the goals on a sustainability side are aligned. And that nexus is something that I think everybody in the renewable industry, the, the true believers who've been around for a long time, have been hoping for, waiting for. This is kind of the promised land we were all told would exist at some point, and we are here, right? And that's the transition. So now that we're here, it's not enough to just be using renewable energy. Now it's about what does that renewable energy mean in terms of actually reducing the impact of a CNI or any end user on the world. And so it is exciting. Like it, it feels good to be sitting here in the promised land and then realizing, wow, this is actually, we got to the starting line, right? Now we're at the starting line to actually solve the real problem going forward. And when you see corporates publicly talking about what their carbon reduction goals are, that really is the first step in the carbon reduction because it creates an accountability framework that investors, consumers, and now regulators can hold these, these organizations accountable to. And their failure to actually hit those public goals becomes just that, a failure. So I have so much respect for the organizations that are publishing this and talking about it, that are, that are being public about it. Now it's time to be actionable. Yeah, well, that's a perfect transition to the next thing I wanted to talk about. And you made a reference here that I hadn't heard before, and it really makes a world of sense. The goalposts appeared to have moved where the conversation was focused on renewable energy goals and targets. The conversation's now all about a broader emission reduction goals and targets, which are obviously much more complicated to track, to monitor, your reference of renewable energy as a strategy previously, whereas now renewable energy is a tactic in this broader emission reduction plan, I think is really interesting. What, Adam, do you think has caused this shift to where companies are now focused on this on this broader set of emission reduction goals as opposed to just being 100% renewable energy? The market. Simply enough, the market. And, and what I mean by that is you have consumers who are demanding that businesses do better. You have investors and I think feel like it's, I feel like as often as we're finding a new corporate that's announcing a carbon reduction goal, we're finding a new investment firm that's announcing an ESG fund. And then also with regulation, the election of President Biden and the discussion at the regulatory level, whether you're publicly traded and the SEC has been very clear if you're going to talk about environmentalism and you're a publicly traded company, you better prove that you're actually doing what you say you're going to do because that is part of an investment profile that people are taking. And you're seeing local and state governments now begin that transition on a regulatory and statutory level to mandate not just renewable portfolio standard. Again, this is a perfect way to capture the transition from renewables as a strategy to a tactic. Now they're advocating and, and, and legislating carbon reduction. And so it's the confluence of those three things that are really moving the goalpost and are really what is driving people. Yeah, that makes a world of sense. The finance piece in particular, I have found fascinating, Adam, because it wasn't too long ago where the CFO would be identified as the roadblock to adopting renewables. And I've heard increasingly the stories where CFO is now advocating 
development of a sustainability strategy and an ESG plan because in the absence of one, you can't successfully access capital markets. So the ability to get funding and to see green bonds and to see loans now being, the rate on loans being tied to achieving sustainability targets, it's just, it's incredible to see to see what's happened with finance as a driver here. So I, I like the way you hit those three points and I think you really nailed it. What you just said is the thing I actually personally find the most humorous, right? Is lived in this world where a CFO is 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 the is the <laughs> is the gating agent against it to now put a CFO in an investor conference and make them answer questions from investors about sustainability, they'll come right back into the boardroom and say, we need to do more sustainability, right? <laughs> this was a cost center. Now this is this is a driver of investment. This is a driver of revenue, right? So the second that you have CFOs having to answer those questions at an investor conference, when they get back into the office, boy, is it a different conversation, but that's the market working. This is happening. And that's what's so exciting. Yeah, the market. I think that summed it perfectly. It's about the market. So with this whole move towards and focus on emission reduction, I, you know, I would like to learn a little more about what's going on at Ledger 8760. Give us a little more detail on the work you'll be doing. The ink isn't dry yet on your business card. So I know there isn't a lot of detail you could give us, but I'm sure you've got some things you'd like to share regarding what you'll be doing there. Yeah, well, first, for those who aren't energy nerds like us or utility wonks, 8760, the number of hours in a year, right? And so the idea is, is that we're measuring energy and emissions, scope one, scope two, and scope three in real time on an hour by hour basis and creating visibility so that you're not looking and doing a retrospective look into guessing what your emissions were, but knowing what they are and being able to target that in real time. And at the same note, rather than using averages of information that are out there, but tracking from generation through consumption. And and my co-founders are a bunch of energy wonks and and kind of energy nerds ourselves. And so we, we live in this space. So we wanted to create that. And actually, one of the things that's so important is, so CFOs now, back to the CFO, it always comes down to the CFO, they'll love to hear that, is when you look at what's happening, you need to accrue carbon as a liability on your books, right? Because you're going to be taxed on it. It's not if, it's when. And in some places, it's already happening, whether it's the California Air Resources Board or what you're seeing in the state of Washington, some model legislation that's coming out in other places. So as you have to accrue for that, you would want to make sure your information is as accurate as possible. Because once you now have to accrue carbon as a cost, what it allows you to do is look at the financials on these renewable energy projects even more differently, right? They were already financially advantageous. Now they're even more financially advantageous. When you're looking at carbon reduction in your process emissions, we work with some casino properties. They do dry cleaning. Dry cleaning actually has some pollutants, I know. And so how are we reducing this and to create more and more visibility? So that's what, we, what we're doing at Ledger, to your point, the, the, the ink is not yet dry on the, on the business cards and we're still, we're still continuing to grow, but we've, we've been amazed in the, the traction that we've had here. You know, we spent three years and a few million dollars building out all the proprietary software and just went to market a couple months ago. And now it's, it's kind of keeping up with the, with the demand because of the entire conversation we've had. Honestly, the entire season you've had here on Smart Energy Decisions and everything you've talked about 
all of that is what is driving this demand in the market to accurately track and report these emissions. So you can you can use that data for a whole host of things. Yeah. Well, this this platform, it really sounds like a solution whose time is now because is it is it me or does it seem like a lot of companies have no idea how they're actually going to achieve their emission reduction goal when they when they declare them? That probably is the truest statement of all. And they are well-intentioned. So it is, please, if you're listening and you haven't declared one, just declare one, right? We'll, we'll figure <laughs> it out. The idea that, hey, we know as a corporation, we need to do better, but we don't know where the starting line is. And so that was the idea behind Ledger 8760. Let's create the starting line. And then from there, the roadmap to move forward. But most of the customers we're talking to, hey, our CEO announced we were reducing our carbon by 50%, but we don't know 50% of what. Or, hey, we have pressure from our CFO because we have some funds that now have new requirements for us to grab our investment. We don't even know how far off we are from the marks, or in some cases, we already hit those marks and we just haven't properly captured that. So it's this lack of information and kind of creating a single pane of glass to be able to look at the entirety of that information set, because to your point, so many, and it's not just corporations, it's also government agencies as well. When you have a political space, they're, they're just like a CEO, right? Where you have a mayor, or you'll have a governor who wants to proclaim, we're going to reduce by X. But what is, what is the starting point before you even start moving that forward? So no, you're, at, you're absolutely right. And, and if you don't know what it is, still announce you're going to reduce it because that is the right thing to do. Are you proud of your company's sustainability program? Why not promote it in this ad slot and reach our audience of engaged listeners all striving to make smart energy decisions? If you're an industry supplier, advertising on Smart Energy Voices is also a great way to reach and influence opinion leaders in the industry. For more information, please see the show notes. Let's talk a little more about that because some of the pain points I hear in talking to large customers, they're unsure which emissions to track and how do you track them and which which are my scope one, scope two, scope three emissions. It, it seems at times like an insurmountable task. What, Adam, do you see as, as the biggest issues organizations are having around kind of getting started and defining their missions and determining how they're going to track and monitor them. It's kind of the analysis paralysis, right? Trying to figure out where are we going to start. And the challenge that organizations have largely depends on the organizations, right? So in the retail space, so many of their emissions are scope three emissions. So how are they going to capture that information and roll that into what they're doing? And then scope two becomes a percentage and scope one's a smaller percentage versus in a more manufacturing setting, scope two and scope one are the the majority of what they have. And what organizations are realizing is, is that no matter what, scope two is usually about 50 to 60% of this, right? But I think the average is between 40 and 60% is is, is technically that that kind of range where this falls. And right now the information they're using is, is just purely coming from public sources and it's estimates of what it is, right? And so with scope one, you have the most control because that's direct emissions and you have that most control. But scope three is so much guesswork into what's going on there. Until you have a supply chain of emissions that is equivalent to the supply chain of the actual product itself, 
you're, you're really going to struggle with that. So we have organizations that are very much focused on scope three to say, hey, build us a supply chain of emissions. And so we're actually working on that. And that's a hell of a challenge. But what's great about this is the more organizations downstream that we bring on board and we start tracking their scope one and two, right? So the manufacturers who are supplying the retailers, we track theirs. We now have a chain of custody, if you will, of carbon or of emissions that we can track that gives a full visibility to this, to this end user, right? So it, it's solving a puzzle with, with 100,000 pieces. It's one of those puzzles I've seen where it's all the pieces are white and there's 10,000 pieces and it's going to take you three years, four years to solve. That's essentially what this problem is, is you have a colorless puzzle, a jigsaw puzzle, and you've got to put the pieces together. But once you start building the outside and the frame and you start putting this together, you start to see this picture come into focus. And so that is the, the biggest challenge is that, you know, if you've ever done one of those puzzles, you dump the box out and you're like, oh God, where do I start? We're like, find a corner piece, right? Find the easiest piece for us to grab and let's start building the puzzle and, and solving this together. Yeah, find the corner piece. That's a great analogy. Thank you for that. The notion of a supply chain of emissions, I think is interesting. There was an article just recently in the journal that talked about how some packaged goods companies are looking to actually define the amount of carbon associated with the production of a product, and they'll actually pop that on the label. So at some point, a consumer will be able to compare which product is actually more efficient from a carbon standpoint. I don't know if that's something that will ever realistically be achieved, but it's interesting to hear that people are already thinking in those terms. They are thinking in those terms. In fact, some of the retailers that we're talking to, that is their end goal is to track that. And then not just, not just to say the consumer can choose, you know, hey, we have visibility on what the emissions are. But if your emissions are over X, we're not even going to carry you in our store. And if you don't participate in this program, we won't carry you in our store. And that is where we think a lot of this is going to go. And that is back again. The market is pushing so much of this to solve this problem of net emissions and, and re the reduction thereof. And so it's exciting. But you know, I, I have no doubt. I mean, you, let's your point. You already see it on some, some very progressive organizations. I have no doubt that within five years, you will start seeing that as a standard label. I have my nutrition label and I have my carbon label, right? Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, Walmart has had that as an objective of theirs for probably close to 10 years now. And I wouldn't be surprised if they were one of the retailers that are looking at this as we speak. And let me say it another way. I'd be shocked if they're not <laughs> one of the retailers looking at it right now, especially as it relates to private label products. Like if a retailer could figure out a way on their private label products to also have their products positioned as the most sustainable, that's going to be an interesting advantage. But I guess that's for another episode, Adam. So we've talked a lot about customer challenges. Let, let's talk about Ledger 8760. What do you see as the biggest challenges you're going to need to overcome at the company to have the kind of impact that you'd like to have? Growing fast enough to meet the demand, right? Which is we were kind of joking. It's like, we're not afraid of, of failure. We're almost more afraid of success. And that we've, we have so many people that are, are, are working to get into this space as far as our customers and, and people we're talking to. 
And so we are scaling and hiring a lot people that are, are believers in the mission to actually continue to support what we're doing. And it's a, it's amazing. It, there's it's one of those markets where there's more demand than there is there is supply. So we're building up that supply in a hurry. And, and thankfully, we have some very incredible investors and backers that are supporting what we're doing. But for right now, it's that. And, and it's getting people, like we talked about, the retail challenge is a great one, which is using the, the biggest buying power, which is in, in whatever the industry is, to kind of push downstream and upstream on on their vendors and and their suppliers to say you're going to give me this information because i need to aggregate it to give it to my end user and so i I think that the greatest opportunity and the greatest challenge is putting that together you talked about walmart right and walmart is for my money the most savvy energy consumer probably in the united states and that is said with all admiration because I, I consider myself a very savvy energy consumer when I was at Switch. So it just gives you an, an idea of the challenges that are ultimately faced in getting there. It doesn't mean it's not going to happen, but it, it also means it's not going to happen overnight to capture all of this. And so it's scaling and continuing to grow and having enough people to handle the demand. And on the same note, pushing enough on everybody and keeping that pressure. I say not letting off the pedal. I'm not going right. to say letting off the gas, right? right? We're getting rid of gas. <laughs> not letting off the pedal right. on that push for the carbon reduction and, and, and driving up and downstream users. Yeah, that's fascinating because when you think of as a vertical or when you think of retailers and the consumer products that they sell and getting supply chain emissions calculated, you're talking about tens of thousands of companies that are going to need to address this. Well, it sounds like we're going to have a lot more prospects for our our events, Adam, which I'm very excited about. So this has been great. As you know, from being an avid listener of Smart Energy Voices, I always like to get to know my guests on more of a personal level. And in getting ready for our conversation today and in looking at, at your background, I mean, I was kind of fascinated to learn that, you know, you started out in TV news in Panama City. So I've got to ask, how, do, how does someone go from being a TV news reporter in Panama City to CEO of a energy and sustainability SaaS startup? Wait, what are you saying? It's not a linear route? I see it clear <laughs> as day. I, what are you talking about? I got into news because I wanted to create a change in the world, right? And I, I, I grew up back when journalists were journalists to kind of paraphrase, and where telling stories and exposing truths kind of helped move the world forward. And that was, that was my mission. That's what drove me. But a bit naively, I got into TV news thinking that's how I would do it and very quickly realized that that wasn't, wasn't going to be the case, at least not the, the avenue I was heading down. So actually from there, I'd, I've always been you know, involved really in the tech space ever since then and always have had a passion for sustainability. And over the last decade, intimately involved in energy and, and sustainability and understanding the problem and understanding the solution, the opportunity to kind of take my experiences in a very practical business sense and apply it to this problem and take the passion that I have for it and be able to help more organizations achieve their, their sustainability goals really was something I couldn't pass up. I mean, this is 
this conversation is what I love being a part of, especially when it's a conversation, not about what what we've done, but what we're going to do. And that this pathway is not something that's unreachable, but it's just about hard work and grit and getting from, from A to B. We can see it now. I, I don't think that everybody fully appreciates the fact we actually can see a light at the end of this tunnel and this solution. And it's, it, we're not getting there easily. We're not getting there without a lot of money and a lot of hard work, but it's there. It's right there. And that is, is kind of the thing I've been chasing my entire career and probably the one thread that ties everything together. Yeah, that's interesting because you're really, I mean, you're all about making a difference. You've traveled a couple different roads to make a difference, but each road has been about making a difference. So it's, it's interesting to hear how each of your paths have, have led to kind of larger and larger scale and larger and larger impact. You've touched on this a little bit, but I would like to ask you straight up, Adam, why are you, why are you passionate about about this space? My kids, right? I've been passionate about it for my own selfish reasons and that, you know, I want to live in a better world. But when you have kids and, and any listener that has kids knows what that does and the, the switch it flips. And I have a three, five and seven year old and it is the coolest thing in the world. They on their own are all about recycling they're all, I mean, they ask me about solar panels. They want to talk about wind. I mean, they love the story. Like they're, they're I, I bred some cool nerds that absolutely get it and absolutely love it. And that's my inspiration in life. No pun intended. It's where I draw all my energy from is that not only can I help build a better world, but one of the great things about COVID and working from home is they can see me doing it that they can actually see what this takes and the work that, that I'm doing and what we're doing. And that, you know, is what sustains my continued commitment and what gives me all my energy. That's awesome. Three, five, and seven. That's a great, great age to be enjoying them. It's also on the scary end of a college tuition spreadsheet, <laughs> which, which I know you have cranked. <laughs> hey, listen, you know, they give me as much energy as they take away and they give me as much anxiety when you say things like spreadsheet and college tuition <laughs> as, they do, uh, as they do joy. So yeah, no, you're not wrong. Yeah, I have a suspicion you're going to be just fine in that department. So what's been your greatest career challenge? My biggest career challenge is, you know, is always kind of keeping the, the right people around you. And, and I, don't, I don't think I failed at that. I, I, let me say that, right? And I, this is not an ego or braggadocious thing. And in fact, it's probably the reason why I've, I've continued to have success is by being around great people and doing this. But the challenge is, is to find great people who aren't just kind and smart, but that challenge you and that push you and one of the challenges is, is that as, as we all continue to grow as people to finding more people and, and continuing to have the, the ability or energy to open yourself up to bring more people into your life, that's a challenge, right? It takes a lot of work to continue to grow your circle, to bring more people in who are going to not only support you, but also push you sometimes outside of your comfort zone. And that challenge is one that I relish and, and, and I love. But 
that takes a lot of work to say, hey, listen, I, I'm very comfortable in this circle. I want to open it up and bring in more people who are going to be part of this. And, and, and I, I, I'm so thankful to have so many incredible people in my life that I've got to interact with and work with, whether it's more on the periphery, like, you know, John, you and I have got well, a few years under our belt now, right? Back and forth or, or people that are in my life every single day, but being able to continue to expand those circles and then keep those relationships, right? Keep, you know, as you expand the circle, keeping active relationships is, is takes work. So it's, it's all of that, but it's, it's about the people. Yeah. And what you described, it takes, it takes confidence, right? To allow yourself to be challenged. It takes courage to allow yourself to be challenged. So that's great perspective. What accomplishments are, are you most proud of, Adam? Uh, other than my kids, of course, right? On the, on the professional yeah. side, the thing I'm most proud of is really was, was getting online Gigawatt One and the solar and storage that we did. Because in particular, doing, doing the world's largest solar plus storage behind the meter project, it was not just as easy as saying, let's do that, right? Starting from one, is the technology available to do this? Two, how do we financially make this advantageous? Three, now I got to build distribution lines. I got to have tie it into a substation. There's a whole bunch of engineering challenges that come into this. And then finally, how do you do this in a way that's actually meaningful, that's demonstrating the penetration and the, the actual removal of carbon from, from the system by doing this? And so that was a multi-year challenge. We were really incredibly fortunate to work with Benoit Aliou and, and his team. They're now at KKR. But to have a partner, I mean, that was a three-year challenge to put together that project. And it's, it's being built now. It's coming online. But that was one that I will tell you. There's a lot of long nights and a lot of a lot of, <laughs> a lot of a lot of Excel spreadsheets back to that, right? And a lot of interesting mathematics to pull that thing off. Yeah, well, I recall reading about the scope of that project and it was it was bold. <laughs> All caps. It was a bold project and congratulations on making that making that happen. Who would you say has had the greatest influence on on your career? You know, it'd be my now former boss Rob Roy. Rob, founder and CEO of Switch, like a father figure to me. He not only mentored me and helped me grow professionally, uh, helped me grow personally, and really gave me opportunities to take on projects like the one we just described, gave me opportunities to help build a team to grow into this and, and coach me through that. And, 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 and for that, I am and will be forever thankful. And, and getting to see somebody who built a company from literally nothing and into to what it is today. I mean, it, it's special to be around that. And I'm sure it's, it's like you, right? You draw your energy from being around people who are mission-driven, who are doing audacious things and that have accomplished things and, and, and pulling that back and forth. That's, that's what it was. It's kind of like a it's kind of like having a, a son right next to you, S-U-N, not S-O-N, right? And that the energy that comes from that. Yeah, well, I'm sure he's he's excited about you moving on to your next chapter. I'm, I'm sure he's also trying to figure out how he's going to fill your shoes because you just, you did an incredible job there. So you now get the chance to be Rob Roy, right? At Ledger 8760. What What do you hope to accomplish there? You know, I hope to help 
organizations and businesses achieve those carbon reduction goals we talked about. And that at the end, when I'm laying in that proverbial deathbed and I'm lying there that I can say that not only was I a great father, but that what we did was actually something that left a massive impact in the world and that we were a small part of solving a big problem in emissions reductions and making this place sustainable for uh, millennia to come. And that's what keeps me going. Yeah, well, that's super. Your whole career has been about having an impact and making a difference. And I I have a feeling you're going to have your largest platform to date at Ledger 8760 to do so. So I wish you well, and I I would definitely bet on you making some really big things happen. John, thank you so much. And thank you for the opportunity to be on this podcast. Like I said, I am a, I'm an avid runner and I listen to the podcast whenever a new one drops. You've had such incredible guests kicking off the season with, with Jigger, which was just phenomenal. And so just to be in this uh, same group of people is always an honor to be in your presence. I am forever grateful and, and for everything you do with Smart Energy Decisions. Oh, thank you, Adam. That was very kind. And the pleasure is all mine. Believe me, you're, you're, you're awesome. I consider you a friend and it's great to see you moving forward in your career and being in a position to have even greater impact on the industry. So thanks very much for joining me in this conversation today. Thank you. To our listeners, thanks for engaging with our content and being a part of the Smart Energy Decisions community. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and tell your colleagues and peers about it. To learn more about how you can become a part of Smart Energy Decisions' next event, visit our website at smartenergydecisions.com. We're excited about sharing conversations with leaders of the energy transition like Adam in this podcast, on our website, and at our events, all in the interest of helping you make smart energy decisions. Thanks for listening to Smart Energy Voices, an SED podcast. Digest the insights from today's episode and take action on the ideas that have inspired you. Join us every Friday for conversations with smart energy leaders. We also invite you to check out another SED podcast, Beyond the Meter. Each episode of Beyond the Meter features innovative energy projects and initiatives by large electric power users. To keep up to date with trends and happenings in the energy transition, visit smartenergydecisions.com to register for our daily newsletter and become part of the Smart Energy Decisions community.